We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. Okay, ready? I want to know something she's I'll think about everyone you need it. I hold in it, things are moving real now. I have you seen you wanting you. Hey. It's her ratio. Okay, though. It's her ratio. Okay, though. That might be the best question I've ever been asked. <laughs> You're a phenomenal person. I mean, you legendary. I am a fan of you, my brother. My dad and the pimps that I used to be around taught me how to communicate. Think about that. How masterful do you have to be as a communicator to convince a woman to stand on the corner, day or night, hot or cold, rain or shine, sell her body and give you all the money. That's communication. That ranks right up there with an Obama speech and being able to communicate because I I think he's one of the best speech givers. Absolutely. Uh, But yeah, that's where I learned to communicate was watching them. Javon McCormick is one of the most interesting business people I've ever met. He comes from absolutely nothing. His father was a pimp and his mother was one of his father's prostitutes. And now... He's a multimillionaire because he's figured out how to succeed in business and how to be a modern leader who listens to the people around him. And He says he learned a lot of that from his father. Really fascinating conversation. Javon McCormick on Torre Show. You are... A self-made multimillionaire came from nothing and you're successful. How'd you do it? Man, you know, there's never just one thing. Yeah. Everybody, oh, what's what's one thing? There's no no such thing as one thing. No, no. You know, if I had to start on the list, first and foremost, belief in myself, loving myself, Mm -hmm. You know, I I live like this. How dare you expect someone to believe in you or love you if you don't love yourself first? So I start there in in belief in myself. You know, another critical one, man, uh, there's so many throughout my life that were very, uh, that that taught me to drive. But three words I eliminated from my vocabulary as a kid were hope, wish, and luck. Hmm. And I'll go through them, man. Um, hope. When I would hope my dad would come pick me up when I was a kid, he never showed. When I would hope there was something to eat when I got home, it never produced anything. So I stopped hoping. And and what really bothers me is, you know, we've been preaching hope to the low-income communities for years. Hope ain't coming. And one has to believe because belief forces execution. If you believe you can get out of your circumstances, then you got to execute on that belief. And and I got a pastor friend of mine, Brother Smith, and Brother Smith looks at me and he goes, Javon, I can't stop saying hope. I said it 16 times in my sermon last Sunday. And I go, okay, Brother Smith, you ready? And he's like, yeah. I said, do you want me to hope there's a God or do you want me to believe there's a God? Mm. And he looks at me, he's a pastor, he goes, damn. He goes, I never thought of it that way. I go, because look, if I just hope there's a God, 
I don't have to commit to this godly lifestyle, but if I believe, I've got to commit. Mm-hmm. And so, I, so I, your belief system was, I'm going to be rich? Uh, my belief system is, I will find a way out of this. And, and what really helped with that belief system is, and this, this is critical, I really appreciate the question. At 10 years old, my father... When I was in Houston, Texas with him, he drove me through a, an ultra-exclusive neighborhood, River Oaks, 5, 10, $25 million homes. I was raised in public housing, the projects. I had never seen anything like this. And one family lived in these, these houses. But it was in that moment I said to myself, wow, I'm going to have one of those one day. What's critical about that is I saw what was possible. The problem we have, in my opinion, right now in our society, you have so many children that don't even know what's possible. Sure. And, 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 and if you allow me to, to go here for a second, think of Chicago right now. It's nicknamed Chirac. Mm-hmm. So if I'm 5 to 17 years old, I'm a kid growing up in Chirac, murder, incarceration, death, shootings, drugs. How do I even know that I can be a forest ranger one day? A forest ranger. You got to see it. I'm not knocking them, but that's that's you got to see it to know it's possible. You got to see it, and it's a forty thousand dollar a year career. I'm not knocking the career, but think about this: if I'm growing up in drugs, incarceration, shootings, but you tell me that I can have a career in nature, fresh air, trees, how beautiful is that? But I don't even know it exists. But I know. People who go to jail, people who sell drugs, people who rob people. people. Rapper, athlete, drug dealer. Yeah. That's that's what I know. That's what I see. Those were my three avenues out. No one said that I can be an entrepreneur. So so a a, a month ago, I won uh, Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year. So so, so take me through it because, okay, here's your emotional framework. Yeah. I'm believing. I'm working. I believe in myself. But there's... There's actual business financial steps that you took to better your situation. So what are some of those things you did? Um, I didn't learn this until later on in life. Someone told me, and what was interesting, my, my co-founder, he told me, he said, one of the greatest things that ever happened to you is you never went to college. And now keep in mind, he went to the University of Chicago and uh, Duke Law School. So schools. he's got the credentials. Yes. And he said, and I said, why? Because I had lived my whole life in, you know, inferior of people who had the credentials. I said, how could you say that? He goes, because you didn't cl- get clouded by all the bullshit. Mm. He said, you focused in on what you wanted to learn. And fortunately for me, man, in my early 20s, 1920 years old, um, I went to a free lunch and learn on 401k. Okay. Changed the game. Okay. Because, man, right, you, you can keep... The wheel, fire, electricity, man, give me compound interest. And that really opened my eyes. And from there, everything was, okay, how can I learn the world of finance, investing, percentages, compound interest? And I was hooked. And it really just took me down a business path of, oh, you can take $100, turn into $200. You can take two, turn into five, so on and so forth. And everything was just, I fell in love with it. So studying finance taught you how to, how to flow. Okay. It taught me how to flow, but Trey, here's, here's what's key as well. Cause, cause I, I see where you're going with this. Um, a couple of key parts is I've never been afraid to work ever. Right. Ever. And I, I will, I will work and I will take accountability. I take responsibility. I don't blame others. You know, I don't blame that I had a, a, a pimp father and a prostitute mother. I don't blame anybody for that. I'm not going to sit in that, that victim mentality and just, oh, why did this happen to me? I, I got to keep going. I got to figure out, okay, those things happen. I cannot change them, but I can change the next hour, day, week, month, and year. Sure. So, so uh, but I'm, I'm trying to figure out how you get from, I'm 20 learning about 401ks. I'm learning about finance. I could read all those books. Yeah. If I don't have any capital, how can I get to money? Right? So at some point you got to be providing a service or selling 
something. Well, so, th- so think about that. Even with investing, and it's kind of our society right now. We we want everything right now. Instant gratification. Well, I just want to know, right? Well, no, no, and, <laughs> and, it, it and it's fair. It, t- it took time. You know, my first investment was a hundred dollars into a Series uh, E savings bond. Worst investment you can make. Right, right, right. And right. then, and then I learned, oh, that's horrible. Let me go over here to stocks and, and do this. But it took time. You know, hundred dollars. You know, then I'll, I'll save another fifty, and I'll save another hundred. I got a, uh, another job. I was working two jobs. Everything from that job I put into to the market. But it was, what is my goal? What do I want to achieve? I At the time, I wasn't looking to buy any Jordans or anything that was flashy. I wanted to invest to make more money. Right, right. So, all right, what's your stock market philosophy? What are you, what are you, what are you looking at? What are you buying? What do I buy? I, I look at common sense investments. I, you know, you, people say, you know, PE ratios and, and candlestick trading and chart. No, what makes sense to me? Um, Great example. Amazon's huge here in the States. Mm-hmm. There's roughly 350 million people here in the United States. Alibaba is the Amazon of China. China has 1.3 billion people. We're their 0.3. Well, if Amazon's working pretty well over here, Alibaba's probably going to work really well over there. So I was blessed and made a, a ton of money in Chinese stocks and I just look, what's the common sense approach? Why is this happening? Some of the, the money I've made is, has been off of stocks that don't make sense to me. I'll give you a great example. You, you've heard shorting a stock. Sure. So I shorted GoPro. I could not, couldn't understand why is this so hot? It's a camera. You and I have children. How often do we need to buy a new camera? Right. And so I'm like, okay, you're a one trick wonder. You have a camera. People buy it. What, how many can you possibly sell? So at around seventy one dollars, I shorted the stock. And then so it, it, in shorting, you're saying the stock's going to go, go down. down. S- uh, I don't believe in this company. It's not going to no, work. Exactly. So I shorted it because I believed it was going to go down. At seventy one, it kept going up to roughly eighty eighty one, and then it it dove and it went all the way down to about five dollars. And that's and a big win for you. That's a huge win. Um, you know, th- things like this. And again, it takes time. You got to study these things. It takes What's courage. Takes, takes courage. But you know what? Hell does, so does crossing the street. You know, so. <laughs> I've been big on the big market movers. Yeah. Google. Yeah. Apple. Tesla, right? Because the stock market always goes up. Yep. But most of that gain comes from five companies. And I'm right. like, I want to be in those five companies. I don't want to f- try to find the little thing that other people aren't into yet. I want to be in the big thing. And I'm like, Apple, Google, and Tesla keep pushing up. That's all I want to be. Well, think about it. especially right now. If you just wanted to quote unquote set it and forget it, buy Apple, buy Amazon. Amazon right now is like $130 a share. You better get in now because we all, Amazon's not going anywhere. No. Apple's not going anywhere. No. Apple's at about $151 right now. Yeah. Buy those stocks. If you did nothing else, here's the other one. Disney. Disney's somewhere around $118 a share. People have the nerve to have tried to compare Netflix to Disney. Disney's the original content creator. Sure. And they have all of the other outlets of the company of Disney, not just streaming. Amazon's got streaming. That's it. I mean, Google. Google. not going anywhere. Not You're going not anywhere. Be able, we saw in our life companies got huge Sears, Kmart, right. and then be overturned. Yep. And I think we're at a point in history where the behemoths can get so big and entrenched that they can't be over. So we're not going to see in 30 years, oh, remember Google? Remember Apple? Right, like right. they'll still be the market leaders. Well, you know, it, it's interesting. I do believe you can stumble up on mismanagement because a lot of people don't know this. Think about Sears. Sears is one of my favorite case studies of a company ever. Sears was the original Amazon because and, Everything. And Sears leveled the playing field. Here's what I loved about Sears. They leveled the playing field for people of color because you could order out of the catalog. Sure. And Sears didn't care. They would deliver it. And that was and a that big was, deal in the 50s, 60s. Yes. Yeah. 
And, and so Sears did it big. So they had the catalog. So think of the email list, mailing list they had. People don't realize Sears invented Discover Card. Right. That started under Sears brand, started in the store in Atlanta. And so they all stayed insurance. That's from Sears. So Sears was the definition of we're huge, but mismanagement really. I mean, the thing, the big companies now are so big, they buy their competitors. Yes. So how could Apple or Facebook ever be topped when if they see anything coming up, we'll just buy you. We'll just buy, we'll buy it for a billion dollars. Yep. I'm like, you bought a company for a billion. Yeah. How much do you have that you bought a company for a bill? I laugh all the time, especially Apple. Cause we know Apple just prints money in, in the back room. It's crazy. It, it's crazy. But here's what's funny. Their biggest acquisition ever was $3 billion for beats. Right. The, the headphones. Right. That's literally the equivalent of Tim Cook stopping by Starbucks in the morning and say, hey, let, let me get Beats. <laughs> let, me, let me just go ahead and get Beats. I mean, if you don't need to acquire new customers, but we can keep making money from the customers we already have, that's gigantic, right? Apple keeps selling us a yeah. new watch, a new phone, a new this, that. Like, But Duray, let, let me ask you this. Ask yourself this question. As a, as a people, as a society... If you and I have the iPhone 13, when do we look at ourselves and say, do I need the 14? We're already saying that. Yeah. Right. But they have created like Sears didn't have a lifestyle. No. Apple is a lifestyle. It is who part of how I define myself. I am an Apple person. I have the phone. I have the computer. You're the ecosystem. Right. I might have the watch. If the sand, if you text me and your bubble is green, I'm like, mm, <laughs> what's up with him? How come his bubble's not blue? What's the no, matter? Man. <laughs> right? Yeah. So your book is called Modern Leadership. Correct. And one of the things that we've seen in our life, I think when we first started working, bosses were typically kind of mean, dictatorial. You might yeah. be afraid to talk to them. And in our work life, we've seen a shift I think about like Bill Parcells, right? Yeah, the head yeah. Coach, like yelling at the players. The players are scared of him. And now you see a shift where the boss is more like Pete Carroll. He's yep. supposed to be your buddy. He's supposed to be understanding. The boss might say to you, hey, you haven't taken a day off in a while. You need to take a day off. Like, well, how's your mental health? Like, I'll talk to you about your kids or whatever. Bring your kids to work sometimes. And like, how can we How can we make things good for you? And bosses who say things like, uh, try not to say no. Try to say yes. Try Where the boss wants to be in service right. of the company and the employees, right? At least that's the facade, right? Yeah, yeah. But that's what modern leadership is about. Like you talk about, I don't, people don't work for me. We work with each other. Exactly. It, it's, it's definitely a shift in putting people first. You hear a lot of people say it, but it's lip service yeah. and they, they truly don't put people first. But what's key is putting all people first. You know, if you look, the reason why it's called modern leader is if you look the old playbook that you and I come from, it was very exclusionary. Yeah. If you didn't have certain credentials, you weren't getting in the, the playbook. And, and I'll give you, you know, people ask, well, give me, give me an example of that. I'll give you two. It wasn't until 1955 that we started tracking the Fortune 500 companies in America, the largest 500 companies in America, 1955. A black CEO did not show up on the list until 1987, 30 plus years the other example that, that I will give you is when I first started in the mailroom pushing my cart as a file clerk, I wanted more. So this is back in the early 90s where you actually had to take your resume out and cold call. You had to work to get work. Um, you didn't just upload a resume. So I was sending out my resumes, trying to get callbacks, trying to get an appointment, you know, invite. Couldn't get one. One day a white gentleman, nice guy, picks up the phone and he says, hey, How'd you get a black first name and an Irish last name? <laughs> well, first of all, I didn't know my last name was Irish because my mom got her last name in the orphanage. And I was just like, what? I Sweet. So I'm, I'm celebrating in my head, Irish last name. But then I hung up the phone and I thought, oh, Javon. So my full name's Javon Thomas McCormick. That day I said, I'm going to edit myself and I'm going to go by JT McCormick. 
Okay. Tori, the next week, appointments, callbacks, invites. I cannot tell you how many times I walked in a room and people said, JT McCormick? Yes. Oh, you're, you're not who we expected. Who'd you expect? Mm-hmm. And, and so, again, editing myself to the playbook to get in. And what was bittersweet was sweet. I learned how to get in. Bitter, I had to edit myself to get into this, this old, antiquated, broken playbook. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. Well, tell us who a modern leader should be. I believe it's someone that truly should put people first. And again, all all people, and I'll speak to our culture, and really, to me, defines a modern leader. For us, we have a culture of welcome. You know, right now, the hotness is DEI, DEI initiatives. Right? what are your DEI initiatives? First of all, diversity is not an initiative. Software implementation is an initiative. There's no finish line with diversity. Just because you hired a chief diversity officer, 13 minorities, and started using pronouns in your email address, you didn't win. So stop celebrating. A modern leader welcomes all. Does not matter who you voted for. Does not matter who you, how you identify. Does not matter if you believe in God or if you don't believe in God. Will you perform in the role, drive results, uphold the company values? Great. Welcome. And why I'm very specific on a culture of welcome. When I was a kid in the 70s, being mixed race, I was always trying to fit in, be accepted, belong. And those are words that you're hearing come back now of uh, belonging. Belonging implies someone doesn't. So I don't want a culture of belonging. 
And, mm. and that's very, you know, words matter. I tell people all the time, we're like, well, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words never hurt me. I'm like, when you get called Oreo cookie, zebra, half-breed, chocolate, vanilla, sweater, words matter. And so I'm intentional with those words. When I'm, when I feel for a modern boss, welcomed, listened to, right? Then, right, it's a conversation exactly. about what I'm doing on a given day or a given year. Then I feel empowered and motivated. Valued. Valued. So that's what a modern that leader is what a modern leader and as a as a modern leader be visible. So so in our company, I sit in the middle of the floor. You can come sit with me any time of the day. Tell me what you did for the weekend. You know, and it, it, it starts really in school. I I, I was on a podcast about education, and they said, "Okay, you're a principal. What's the first thing you do?" I said, okay, if I'm the principal, the first thing I do is I put my desk in the middle of the school out in the open. They go, why? Because my role is to serve and support the students and teachers. I can't do that behind a closed door. And let's stop making the principal's office this, this place of, oh, don't go there. If I need to have a teacher conference, a parent conference, okay, I got a conference room that I can go to. If I need to talk to a student one-on-one, I can go over there. But I need to be visible for the students. And I see the same thing holding true in business. Don't sit in the, the ivory tower. This imperial yes. sort of thing. I'm the king, right? You visit the king. No. So so many people, you see this even, you know, your, your first time leader into, you know, you get a manager role, VP role. I don't know what happens with individuals that they get this leadership title and they turn into dictators. Right. Your role is to serve and support. And, and so modern leadership, here's another great example. We don't have direct reports. If you're in leadership, your role is to serve and support. So you are a direct support. So if I'm speaking to someone, I'll say, hey, who's your direct support? Not your direct report. And it's just that that language changes it. Think of this, Troy. We still say recruit and retain. Mm -hmm. Think about that. We want to recruit and retain the best people. Mm -hmm. Man, I don't want to retain anybody. Go look up the definition of retain, to keep possession of. Mm -hmm. No, we want to attract and provide. I want to attract great people, and I want to provide meaningful work, great pay, and an incredible culture to be a part of. Now, one of the things that in modern the modern work world that we're getting to is a shift of mindset for millennials and increasingly Zoomers, right? My son came to me talking about quiet quitting the other yeah. day, right? And there's just a notion, like we grew up, I think, in this notion of like, you work all the time, work is the center of your life. You know, if the boss asks you to do something a little yeah. extra, uh, pick up on for somebody else, you just do it, right? I, I'm here to serve the company and to do the best that I can, right? And maybe I'll stay late, you know, this day, next day, whatever. We're getting more into like people have boundaries. Yeah. Don't contact me after five, six p.m. <laughs> Don't ask me a question on Saturday and Sunday. I've had I've had colleagues who've been like, "You cannot ask me even a single question yeah. on a Saturday. It disturbs my peace." I'm like, "Wow, okay, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm sitting here at ten o'clock on Saturday, like trying to work something out. And you're like, do not speak to right. me." Uh, you know, we get, I mean, and that's just setting boundaries, right? The quiet quitting seems to be a little bit further of like, I have very tightly uh, conscripted boundaries. You know, I will not go outside of that. And I'm not necessarily saying they're wrong, but it's different than the philosophy that, we, so how does the modern leadership deal with the folks who are like, you know, I'm going to give you nine to five oh oh, and not a minute later right. and nothing beyond what you specifically told me that you want me to do. You know, I, I'm not a big fan of the word quote unquote balance. Um, you know, when people say work-life balance, there's just life period. And, and I, I'm going to answer your, your question, but, but follow me here. You have a lot of people uh, with, with our company. People know you can get exited by me from the company if you ever say, thank God it's Friday. Because if you're trading two for five, you're in the wrong place. You're not doing right by yourself. And you're not doing right by us as a company. So let me find that place that's going to bring you happiness. I'm completely fine if your thing is let me come in 
blow it up from nine to five, and then I'm out. More importantly, why I feel we won as a company when the virus hit is we were already structured on a come and go basis. If your work is being completed and you're knocking out your task, you're performing your role, you're driving results. I don't give a damn if, if your child has a, a, a school play from two to four on a Tuesday. And do you, if you are driving results, results, performing your role, upholding the values, that's the goal. You can come and go. You can come and go as you want. And more importantly, if you create a phenomenal company culture, you don't have to force people to come in. They will come in on their own. Wait, are you comfortable with, with people working remote? Totally. Totally. No problem with that. No problem. Some know, folks, some leaders are saying we want you in the office, which I feel like I don't, I don't trust why you're saying that. I don't think you really think it's best for the employees to be in the office. I think you think I'm paying for this space. This way I can know that you're working, these sort of things, like especially in a creative, right? You're in media in a creative space, yeah. like being at home when it's quiet and not commuting, this is much better for me to be productive. Two things on that. The other part that we don't talk about as, as society, because I do believe there are give and takes. I can eliminate the commute. That's a beautiful thing. For some of you, that's, that's two hours. That, that's two great hours you just got back. Beautiful. Let me acknowledge that. The other part that people don't want to acknowledge is the other side. If you're in your office over there and I walk by and I see you in there, I'm like, hey, oh, hey I got a question for you. I get to sit down and talk to you. People don't want to acknowledge there is a lot of um, pro productivity in but that. But there's a lot of interruption in totally. that too. I was working. Sally came by to be like, hey, how you doing? Now I'm having a social conversation with her for 20 minutes. Love Sally to death, but I was getting shit done. But like you said, it, it, how we started, there's give and take. There's a commute over here. There's I get that instant uh, I get to interact with you. So let's hit it back over here. Now, now I'm interrupted. It's no one's talking about both of the sides that come with it. It's just work from home, work from home, work remote. And we have to acknowledge there are deep inefficiencies that come with that. Yeah. I don't care what technology stack you have, Slack, communication, whatever. If I want to get a hold of you and I hit you up on Slack, hey, you available at 11. You don't reply because at the time you happen to be in a meeting. So then you hit me back later on and you're like, uh, yeah, I'm available, but now I'm in a meeting and I didn't see that. So now we're playing the back and forth game and now we're using Calendly and we're trying to say there's a lot of inefficiencies that all. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market dot com slash Torrey thrive market dot com slash Torrey on March 16th 2000 two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta Jamil Alameen a Muslim leader and former black power activist was convicted but the evidence was shaky and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial my name is Mosi Secret and when I started investigating this case in my hometown I uncovered a dark truth about America from Tinderfoot TV Campside Media and iHeart Podcasts Radical is available now Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Also come with work from home. And keep in mind, like you said, we're creatives. A lot of our folks are writers. 
they do better work, as I call, in the hole, quiet, beautiful. Again, I go back to it. Create a culture of freedom. You want to come into the office? Great. We're here to see you. You want to work from home? Great. But let's all acknowledge they're giving takes in this whole new system that we're going down. So we started to talk about the quiet quitting. How are you managing that person? He or she is ticking off the boxes, as you say. But when you're like, hey, I need a little extra from you because we got a big project and a deadline. Sorry, I don't work after five. Like, can you help us out? Like, so-and-so is sick or got fired or whatever. And like, sorry, that's not on my pay grade. That's not in my responsibilities. Yeah. So how do you deal with that? So so I'll be fair to that individual. I don't necessarily see that as a quiet quitting. That's somebody putting up some very hard boundaries. You and I don't come from those boundaries. You know, someone comes to me and like, hey, can you get, yeah, I'll knock it out. You okay with the boundaries and, and um, the here, employee here's, saying no to Here's you? the piece. This is, again, this is the parts that people don't want to talk about both sides. So I'm okay with the boundaries, but that boundary person also has to be okay with, well, okay, uh, Sally said no. She's got boundaries. Susie said yes. What, who, who is most likely going to start being promoted, move up? Susie, because, hey, Susie. Now, people say, oh, well, you're basically saying because Susie does more, she's going to get the promotion. No, I'm saying because Susie took initiative, Susie's getting the she's promotion. More, I mean, this is the thing that I look at, like, on the short term, setting boundaries. I understand it. Yep. I respect it. But in the long term, if is who's the company going to look to? For promotion. Exactly. The, the one who's giving herself to the company and saying, I'll pick up extra here, there, right. here, there. Well, yeah, eventually she's going to move up and you're going to be working for her. Right. And I, I'm like, is this the law? If you're at a company that you believe in, right? If you're working at, let's say, Trader Joe's, right. and it's just a, it's just a, an entry-level job for you. I don't care about stockings. To, then great. Set your boundaries and go pursue your dreams. But if you're at a place that you believe in, I believe in the leader, I believe in the mission of the company, I think, you know, I want to be here for a minute. I think you should give yourself to the company. I'm I'm with you, but but again, I'm going to respect if that's you. But, but you have to also respect the other side of the equation. And again, I keep saying it. This is where we are in society. You, come on, Trey, we were just talking about this. We do this with everything. You know, we talk about diversity. We want to talk about one side. We talk about politics. We want to talk about one side. We, we talk about this, this quiet quitting. We talk about, we want to talk about one side. You got to have the whole conversation. Then. Yeah. And that's what so many of us in this country right now, we don't want to have the whole conversation about anything. We just want to talk about the pieces that benefit us. Well, it's going to, it's going to come down to how many of the younger millennials and zoomers are going to stick to that philosophy Right. And if so, if a hundred percent of the generation says this is who we are as workers, then the workforce is going to have the, the leadership of all the companies going to have to shift to that. But if a fifth or a quarter of them is like, no, I'm going to work my butt off yeah. and like, you know, stay till six or seven or eight and do the extra things the boss is asking, that's going to put pressure on the rest of them because eventually they're going to be like, we're falling behind, you know, the Susie's are getting the right. dollars and the responsibility and we're falling. Do we shift or do we get to be 30 and I'm still at a lower level because this other group is like, no, I'm going to put it in. I'm going to give them more. Well, here's the important piece to that. We're going to give Susie more. So let's acknowledge that. But here's the other piece to this. If you have someone that is on the team, that is hardcore nine to five but they are driving results and they are performing their role. I'm good with that because maybe, you know, their, their whole thing is they like to go on town lake in Austin and, and, and paddleboard. Do you think you're going, especially as you get bigger as a company, you're going to have those folks that aren't quote unquote as ambitious to move up in the company as someone else. What's the best way to ask for a raise? Oh man. Um, I believe that the way we do this at our office is you have to schedule a salary conversation. 
One, I do not believe you should have to negotiate for your worth because a negotiation, someone wins. There should be no winning here. We, we should have a very direct conversation. What are we trying to accomplish? So we, you specifically have to schedule a salary conversation and you have to come and discuss why you believe you should have this salary increase. I do this for two reasons. One, I don't believe anybody should have to negotiate. Two, most of us in life were not raised to talk about money. Right. Raised to not talk about so, money. So I am trying to teach, coach, and mentor people that it's okay to talk about the very thing you need to survive. Well, you knowing what you know, if you if I was your direct support, mm-hmm. I'm the CEO where you are, what would you say to me? In terms of, hey, I, I would like to make more money. Everybody would like to make more money. The way I would come to you is I would say, I'd like to have a salary conversation. I don't want to negotiate because someone's got to win, someone's got to lose. In my salary conversation, I would like to first talk about all the things I plan to do going forward. Then I would like to share with you the things that I have done that support that I can do these things going forward. Are no, you proposing no. you're going to do more than you have been doing more or just most, saying this is the, this is where I'm going. This is where I'm going. And most people take more is I've got to put in more hours. I've got to do more output. More can be, I'm more efficient. I'm more effective at what I'm doing. So it's, it's not always, I'm going to take on more. I'm going to work more hours. It's I'm going to become more efficient. I'm going to create a process. I'm going to re- you know create something that makes me more efficient, more effective. It's not always do more, but but it's interesting. Most people attack a salary negotiation as if they're in the NFL. I did this, 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 and this. Okay, and and you can call me a smartass, but when people do that to me, I ask them, "Hey, um, did your direct deposit go in on time?" And they're like, "Yeah, why?" Well, because you got paid for everything you just told me about. What are we going to do going forward that justifies more? More. Because and the, what, do, what do I say or what would you say to me to justify why I should get more? Because here's what I'm going to do to be more effective, more efficient. Sometimes maybe it is taking on more. Hey, I'm going to take on that project that's been sitting there that you've had nobody to, to work on. I'm going to take that on as well. I'm going to provide more value for you. That's it. That's and it. That way you as the CEO are more likely to say, okay, I'll give you more money. You asked me this about my career as well. I don't remember who told me this, but it stuck with me early. It said, always work yourself into a position of need, not want. You need me to stay. I want a lot of people to stay. But no, you need me to stay. And, and that stuck with me. And I've always approached work on be the best at whatever you're doing. Work yourself into a position of need, not one. If the company needs you. Yes. Then, right? I mean, we can't do it without Javon. He exactly. provides an essential service that is very difficult to be replicated. Yep. So your family story is incredible. And I want to get into some of that. Um, Your dad had 23 children. He was a pimp. Your mother was way younger than him. She was in his stable. Yeah. But you really didn't know your dad, except you, you uh, kind no, of. I, I, I knew him. You know, my dad would, would come through, you know, two, three times a month. And, and you know, I, I, you know, when my dad would pick me up, there's three things you, you could count on. You were going to collect money from prostitutes. You were going to see a lot of chaos. And, and for me, it, it's sad, six, ages six, seven, eight years old. I knew there was a high probability that I was going to be sexually molested by one of my dad's prostitutes. Wow. And at six, seven. six, seven, eight years old, uh, she, she used to, um, she used to force me to perform oral sex on her. And if I didn't do it right, she'd slap me in the face, punch me in the head and tell me to do it right. And I remember even as a kid struggling because I never told my mom because I knew if I told my mom, she'd never let me see my dad again. So I just kept that. And I just remembered the, the, the beatings and, and, you know, it, this, this is, this happened to me so I can make this joke. Some people critique me or criticize me for making this joke, 
But at six, seven, eight years old, and somebody's punching you in the head, and they're telling you to do it right, man, I'm 51 years old. I know grown-ass people don't know how to do it right. <laughs> and so it, it's, uh, you know, I, I just remember being confused. And, and what really hit home for me, one of the last times, it was, man, it, it was very harsh. I remember thinking to myself why she was punching me. I am never going to be in a place where I don't know what to do. And that became a, a foundational piece for me was, okay, always make sure you know what to do. There's a lot of times when in your life you were given way too much responsibility yeah. as a child. Um, it seems like your parents didn't really know what to do in terms of raising children. You talk about- Well, my know, dad may have known. He just didn't. Now, my mom, she just didn't know. Right. <laughs> I mean, you, you talk about moments when you had to take care of, you know, two or three much younger kids when you're young, yeah. taking a bus for 24 hours at nine years old. I mean, what are some of the, you mentioned some of the really traumatizing things that happened, but what are some of the more harrowing stories from your childhood and the crazy things that you went through? You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I feel that everyone should run this exercise. Look back on your life. There's positives in all the negatives. So when you sure. say the harrowing things, some would see them as negative. I see them as just, oh, one of the greatest gifts that, that was given to me. My mother-in-law, I were standing in line. This is back in the 70s when you had to stand in line for your free welfare, your food stamps. Remember the food stamps? And, and you had to stand in line three, four hours for your free allotment. A white lady looked down at me, looked at my mom, and she spit in my mom's face. And she called her a nigger lover right there. No one came to my mom's rescue. No one said anything. My mom just stood there and cried, wiped the spit from her face. She couldn't leave the line because she had to feed her mixed-race child. And in that moment for me, here was the lesson. Here's the harrowing moment to, to your point. One, I still laugh when I tell the story because I think to myself, okay, wait a minute. You're in the same broke-ass line as we are. What makes you better than us? But, but that's one part. Really? This, the second part, though, where I took away from that was in that moment, I said, okay, you're mixed race. You're half white, half black. No matter what you do in life, everyone's not going to like you. People aren't going to like you because your mom had a, a child with a black man. People aren't going to like you because you're mixed race. And, man, I made peace. I was like, okay, I am not going to spend my life trying to get everybody to, to like me. I mean, I was eight years old when I, I took that lesson. So that, that was a harrowing positive moment. The other piece for me, my dad unknowingly, and I didn't know this either, he introduced me to entrepreneurship. And I didn't even know he was. He's an entrepreneur? Entrepreneur. Here, here's what's funny. Think of this, Tori, is, is if you look up the definition of pimp, it says a man that exploits women for money. So then who's the greatest pimp of all time? Hugh Hefner. Mm -hmm. Okay, sure. But nobody says anything about that. Now, but my dad, where he taught me entrepreneurship, we're out collecting money from prostitutes one day. It's cold outside. I, I still smell the heater in the car. And we pull up to the first lady and she slides a stack of money through the window. And she asked my dad, can I come in now? I made my count. And my dad, in the most loving, positive, oh, girl, get back out there. You're on a roll. I'm going to come back around in a little bit. And, and like this was a positive, you can pick where we go to dinner. I'm like, oh, oh okay. <laughs> but, but we drove off. And we go to the next prostitute. And she slid through what looked like $3. And my dad lost his shit. Called her every derogatory, foul word you can come up with told her and get your stank ass back out there, make my money. And, and he, he always finished with this and don't be common. What he meant by that, when you stand on that corner, don't stand there like every other woman. When you dress, don't dress like every other woman. When you're in the bed, don't do what every other woman would. Don't be common. And that stuck with me, man. Don't be common. And, but more importantly, we rolled up the window. We drove off. Nine, ten years old, man, I still remember this. I remember thinking to myself, huh, if I was nicer to the prostitutes, could I make more money 
If I was nicer, they got to keep some of the money and I'd make more money in volume because so many prostitutes would want to work with me because I'm nice to them. And I'm not, and I'm thinking, okay, how could I scale this thing? And I even took it to a competition level. I was like, oh, I'm going to have a lot of pimps mad at me though because I'm going to take your women. And that was my first introduction to entrepreneurship. And I didn't even know it. Nine years old. Maybe if I'm nice, that this is my competitive advantage that I'll be nice to them. What, go, now let's fast forward. What do we lead with? Modern leadership, put people first. So wait, are you like your dad? Oh man, you want to go there. Wow. All right. So 2007, I had made a ton of money in mortgages in the stock market. Great recession hits. I lost it all. Broke, negative broke. I had to borrow money from my stepdad and my best friend to pay rent. Negative broke. I walked to the gas station one night. Um, I went from driving a $100,000 car to, and no, no knock on it, to a uh, cloth seat used beat up Mazda 6. Okay. I go into the gas station. I had $10 in quarters. I'm embarrassed. It's 10 o'clock at night. Can I get 10 on number seven? I'm walking back out to my car. And I look over and I, I swear I saw my twin and we were looking at each other and I was like, Hey, what's up, bro? Good to see you again. And I didn't think I was going to be back, but here I am. And I remember saying, okay, I'm not going to be here too long because I'm, I'm going to get out of this. But what I, when I got home, this was critical. I had an out loud conversation in the mirror with myself out loud, not, not in my head. And I remember I had to say to myself, like, man, you taught yourself how to make money. You taught yourself how to get into the business world. But, man, you got a horrible character. You treat women disgusting. You're derogatory. You're rude. You're, you're a beast. And I had to say out loud, man, you're just like your dad. And it was in that moment that I said, okay, I taught myself all of this. I got to teach myself how to have a better character and how to have a relationship. And, and again, I didn't blame anything, but I did look back and I say, okay, how did I get this way? Look how I saw my dad treat women. I never saw my mom be respected by men. I didn't have any examples to know what to do. Now, again, I don't stop there and say, yeah, well, that's why. No. Okay, great. Now, now we have identified why. Move on. How do you take responsibility and accountability for fixing and improving who you have become? So you're good at, 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 at looking at yourself critically and demanding change. You, you have to because think of this. Only you can change you. That's right. That's right. You know, like, People want to change, and my son, I get to do it. He wants other people yeah. to change. You shouldn't have done da, da, da. Well, maybe that other person, your sister, whoever, should not have done X, Y, Z. But what about you? But you, only you can change you. Yes. So what are you going to do about what you did or yep. didn't do? I, I figured out early also that life is choices. And what I mean by that is you've heard this phrase, confidence is built. I don't believe it is. Confidence is a choice. When I was walking down an alley and these three dudes were coming this way, and I'm like, oh, man. I knew if I dropped my head and I was timid and meek, I knew what was going to happen. I was going to get jumped. But as they got closer, and I was like, what's up? And they kind of looked, oh, what's up, little man? Nobody said anything because I chose to be confident in that moment. When, we, when I didn't have any food, there was no electricity, Man, sometimes confidence was all I had. It was free. Confidence is free. It's a choice. And I learned that life is choices. When you wake up in the morning, you can be negative or you can choose to be positive. Mm -hmm. You truly choose. I don't care if you're on death row. When you wake up, the choice is yours. It's dire, though. It's dire. It's dire. You've already made some major mistakes. But but here's the thing. I can choose to make peace with where I am. Yeah. I can choose to, you know what? This this is my outcome. But I still have a choice. Wait, what else did you learn from dad and his business that you took forward into your business choices? My my dad, my first job after I got my GED, um, 
was cleaning toilets at a restaurant. And it, it took me years to say this out loud. So I'd come in every day from the night before and have to clean the toilets from the, from the night before. Filthy, you know, okay, scrub. One day, I looked down at the toilets and I said, okay, if this is my job, I'm going to have the cleanest toilets in Texas. Took me years to admit this. That lesson came from my dad. He told me and my brothers one time, he said, look, I don't care what you do in life. Be the best at it. He said, if you are going to sweep streets for a living, be the best street sweeper. Now, he could have given us a little something more to aspire to, but the message stuck. And everything from that point forward. Somebody from that generation before him must have used that street sweeper example. Because I think everybody, I, we've all heard that. I right. think my mom said, if you're, you're not going to be a street sweeper. But if you are, <laughs> like, whatever is the lowest thing I can, I mean, I don't even know what is a street sweeper. No, well, I think it used to be a that, thing. Like. Right? It must have been, right? But they're like, be the best street sweeper. Yeah. Like, what, what, who aspires to right. that? Who's still sweeping streets? So wait, was your dad like the best pimp that he could be? Oh, man. When my dad passed away, my mom happened to be in town with me because she, she was living in Wisconsin and I was in Texas and she just happened to be visiting. And I got an email on a Thursday night, like about 1230 from my little brother and said, dad passed away. And my mom just happened to be in town. So Friday I, I shared it with her. Man, she cried and was so upset and, and. I'm no, emotionless. I'm like, whatever. And she goes, you don't understand. She goes, your dad was really a good person. You didn't get to see that side of him. But she said, and that's when she told me, she had never shared it with me, that my dad kept her out of prison from going uh, for welfare fraud. And I had never known that. Um, and you know what's crazy how he did it? My dad was facing, I mean, my mom was facing welfare uh, prison time for welfare fraud. The prosecuting attorney, who, whoever it was for the state, whatever, liked two things, drugs and prostitutes. Guess where he used to get them? My dad. My dad went and said, hey, you send her to prison. I'm going public. Because my dad didn't want to keep me. He didn't want to raise a kid. So he was trying to keep my mom out of prison. That, that's it. My, it th this wasn't a, hey, I'm going to do something. This was, hey, I'm not trying to raise it, raise him. So, um, but the, the attorney said, then she's got to leave the state. And my mom moved to Texas. But he was able to use his power to say, but yes. he also made her feel loved. He, she she, she did. That. Yeah. She, she really went into it and she said, you know, your dad was, was a very good person. He made me laugh. He showed me love. And, and, and again, I know a lot of this too was because my mom grew up in an orphanage. You know, she, she said this to me and my mom taught me so great le lessons. Um, I remember my mom told me this and, and I'm staying on topic, but my mom told me this back in the late eighties, nineties, you remember this. It was controversial for gays to adopt kids. Absolutely. And I remember my mom looking at the TV and she goes, you know what? This is bullshit. She said, when my ass was in that orphanage and no one ever said goodnight, no one said happy birthday. They only gave us three squares of single ply toilet paper to do our business with. And, and no one said they loved me. She goes, I would have paid any amount of money for two men, two women, gays to adopt me and give me love, show me affection, say happy birthday. Who and man, me? yes, that I was like, uh, mom, I, I, I feel you on that one. And but so this is, this is why prostitutes, Stay with the pimp. Yes. Because because she's low on self-esteem yep. and he fills that void. Especially if you've never had it. Right, 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 right. Most women would not be susceptible to that. Right. But he knows the women who are and he fills that void. And, and, and I don't just say this because she's my mom. My mom was beautiful. She had long black hair down to her butt, green eyes, um, and she truly did not have to be with my dad, but her self-esteem was just nothing. And that's why she was open to his charms. Oh, yes. But, but, oh, so to your point, when I went to his funeral, 
So I, my mom stayed in Texas. I went back to Dayton to my dad's funeral. So that's one. I get to the funeral. There's four of my dad's ex-women at the funeral. And I'm going, this is amazing. Then another one shows up. Guess who the other one is? She gives the eulogy. I'm like, wow, he truly was loved. Now, I do remember the times I was with my dad on the weekends. Oh, he was loved. Everyone loved my dad. His nickname was Booby. You couldn't drive five minutes without someone on a corner. So, Booby! I went to this funeral tray, and I only went because my mom said, I don't want you to ever not, re- I don't ever want you to regret not going. So I went. And I, I swore I thought there'd be like five people at the funeral <laughs> because I just remember my dad was not a good person for me. Man, they had to open the back doors. There were people parked across the in, in a field outside the parking lot at the funeral home. And all of these pimps are going up to the microphone. Black funeral, you get two minutes to speak your piece. And these pimps are going up. Man, I'm talking lime green, high yellow, red, <laughs> orange. <laughs> And I'm hearing, Booby taught me the game. Booby taught me how to cut money. Booby taught me how to pimp hoes. And all of these, you know, in that world, amazing stories. And I'm sitting there like, Booby didn't teach me shit. And, and so um, I'm looking around. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go speak my piece. And I'm going to say what I need to say. And he, but here's why I did it. I get to this funeral and I find out, as with most pimps, My dad died flat, broke. There was nobody to pay for his funeral because he was so loved in Dayton. The funeral home who knew him, they donated their services to cremate him, donated the suit he was wearing. So I get there and I ask my little brother, um, I say, man, who's paying for this? He's like, man, I'm going to try to, but me and my wife are trying to buy a house. I'm like, man, don't, I got it. And so I went and asked the funeral director. I'm like, how much would this be? And he told me how much it was, and I paid for it. And, and, and for me, when I went up and spoke my piece, I remember I said to, to the crowd, I was like, hey, I really appreciate all the stories you shared about my dad. I, I never knew these things. So it was great to, to hear it. But I didn't come here to say something nice about my dad. The booby I remember is the person who, when I was five, said he was coming to pick me up. I stood in that window four hours waiting on his ass to come get me, and he never showed. I go, that's who I remember. I said, so the only reason I'm here today, because heaven, hell, wherever he is right now, and with his ass waiting for me like I waited for him. I walked off. Mm. And people started clapping. <laughs> mm. I was like, ah, that wasn't the... the kept it real. Yeah, uh, it, it real. but that's how I felt. You know, it, it's... um. Plus, the person who was in the casket, I didn't know that person. You hadn't seen him My dad was larger years. than life, uh, always dressed in, impeccable. I'll even give him that. Where did, I, where did I learn how to dress? Pimps? I love clothes. Comes directly from my dad and the, the guys I used to, to see all, all the time. Um, and Do you know how to make people love you the way that he was loved? You, you would have to ask the people that I serve and support. I, I, would, I would like to believe so, um, mainly because this recently happened. I, I made an announcement at the company, and, and my delivery wasn't, wasn't very well. And so the way I was delivering the message, people thought that I was about to re- resign, walk away from the company. And when they realized I wasn't, everybody uh, started giving me, man, I thought you were leaving. They were like, hey, I already had one foot out of the door because if you were leaving, I was leaving. Mm. And so I, I felt, I feel good about that. You know, I, a lot of people also think this lesson is, is disgusting because of where I learned it. But this is where I learned my lessons. My dad and the pimps that I used to be around taught me how to communicate. Yep. Think about that. How masterful do you have to be as a communicator to convince a woman to stand on the corner, day or night, hot or cold, rain or shine, sell her body and give you all the money? That's communication. That ranks right up there with an Obama speech. 
And then being able to communicate, because I, I think he's one of the best speech givers. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, that's where I learned to communicate was watching them. So wait, I want to go back to the sexual trauma that yeah. you mentioned earlier that you experienced as a very young person. What has been the long-term uh, out, uh, fallout of that? Whew, um, the, the thing that haunted me and stayed with me the longest was, if you recall, I said I was never going to be in a place where I didn't know what to do. Yeah. Translate it and said another way, it created a perfectionism in me. Everything had to be. So I lived my life trying to make sure everything was perfect. As we both know, there's no such thing as perfect. I mean, I was so bad People would say, well, you know, there's no such thing as perfect. And I said, look, here's the deal. I may never touch perfection, but damn it, I'm going to get close enough to smell it. And that was something that, that was a long-term uh, uh, effect for me. And it took me years to realize, too, a lot of the reason she was doing what she did to me was to get back at my dad for the mm. control he had over her. And that didn't really expose itself to me until my forties. Yeah. Wow. But yeah, I walked, I walked around with that um, and walked around angry. You said, what was the long-term effect, man? I walked around angry. Like, okay, if I ever see her again, I'm going to push her down the steps, light her on fire. And, and, and I'm not even going to pee on her. I'm just going to watch her burn. And, and I was angry when word made it to me that she passed away. I sent money for a funeral and that was kind of my way of just like my dad. It was kind of my way of, okay, I'm good. Cause I couldn't change it. Couldn't change it. No matter what, no matter what you do. Thank you so much to Javon for a great interview. And thanks to you for listening. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality. Maybe this show can help. You can find me on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jennifer Brown. Our editor is Ryan Woodhall. Our booker is Claudia Jean. And we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back on Wednesday with more amazing guests. Because the man can't shut us down. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered.